Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. We are second week of a series called The Engine Room, Six Habits That Powered the Life of Jesus. And to continue the engine analogy, has anyone here ever had the wonderful experience of witnessing an engine light come up on the dash? That, that orange thing that, ha- that happens on... Always at the, the worst time that you could possibly have. What is the decision point when the engine light comes on? Because <laughs> part of you, the brain starts going, thinking, I could uh, take this off to the mechanic and it's going to cost me a heap of money and I'm into a black hole, the unknown. Or the other side of it is, well, I can just keep on driving. <laughs> just ignore it. Uh, the engine light. The engine light is there to say, "Look, th- this is not critical, driver, uh, but there is an imbalance. There is something underneath here that, if you don't do something about it, then it will be catastrophic." Craig Beatty, one of our elders, discovered that with his car in Warunga when the engine light came on the other week. <laughs> something's out of balance. If you keep driving it, something's going to happen. Hey. I wonder, is there anyone here this morning who feels like the engine light has come on in your life? feel like all the dash is lighting up. <laughs> what do you do in that moment? What would Jesus do in that moment? What we see from this passage and what we'll see this morning, it was clear that whenever the engine warning light came on for Jesus, it says, Luke 5, that he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He prayed. And would it surprise you that the busier Jesus got, the more that he withdrew to pray, which is counterintuitive, right? And some people are saying, Sam, you know, if I did that in my business, can you imagine what that would do to my sales figures? Are you serious? The whole reason I'm stressed is I've got a business to run. I've got, to, I've got things to do. I've got stuff to do. Yet, that's fine. But I guess the, the point that we're trying to make this morning, that when it comes to the Christian life, you can't achieve supernatural ends by human means. If we want to see God move in our lives, if we want to see God move in our church, you can't just turn up the volume. And Jesus understood that. That's why he often went. What's your often? You know what oftens are? Oftens are the things that you don't know that you do, but everyone else does. You can have all sorts of oftens. You can often be out surfing. You can be often off with the fairies. You can be off and off to the bathroom, depending what stage of life you're at. You can be off and on your phone, depending what stage of life you're at. Often, your often is the things that you do habitually where you don't know, but everyone else does. And the beauty here is that we see for Jesus, his prayer was an often. His prayer was a lifestyle, not just a practice. There's a big difference between the two, isn't there? Because I think the average person, both the Christian and the non-Christian, they're up for prayer. Have you ever noticed whenever there is a crisis in life that whether you're a Christian or not, people tend to pray? How many times have we seen that, uh, whether it be the Lint Siege and the news reporters on the television, we're praying for the families. Koshi, I've never heard you talk about church. When there's major crisis and there could be no better reminder on September 11 of an entire city that went to prayer. That's prayer as a practice. But that's not prayer as a lifestyle. Prayer as a lifestyle is to say, hey, here's Jenny, here's John. You know what they're doing? They are often praying. Do we 
Has it been developed? Here's habit number two of Jesus. Are you ready for it? Jesus not only had a Holy Spirit dependence, habit number one, but Jesus had a habit of prayerful guidance. In fact, it was such a habit for him. You know, in Luke 11, there's this intriguing situation where the disciples say to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? Which I find fascinating because these guys were Jewish. They would have known how to pray. They would have been ingrained into them as little boys. They believed in God. Prayer wasn't invented for Christianity. They'd been praying for years. And even more intriguing, I'm thinking, if I'm hanging out with Jesus and I want to ask him how to do something, I want to ask him how to walk on water. <laughs> I want to ask him how to do some miracles. Raise people. I, I wouldn't ask him how. Why would the disciples ask him to teach them how to pray? And I believe it's this. That for those closest to Jesus, prayer was the thing that made him different. Prayer to them, they could see, is where the power was coming from. Otherwise, they wouldn't have asked for it. So here's the thing. If we learnt last week that the resources available to to Jesus are the resources available to us. And that is because Jesus didn't dip into his divinity in order to live out his humanity. In other words, he didn't play the God card. If Jesus modelled the Christian life in all of his humanity, not through his own independent God-likeness, then it means this. When we see Jesus often praying, he is modelling something to you this morning. When you flick through these pages, he is showing you something. And what I see from the life of Jesus this morning is that four key things, four spheres of his prayer life, four things that made it a lifestyle for him. What is it that we learn Here's the first one. You ready for it? For Jesus, prayer was a time of listening. There was the um, weirdest thing happened to me uh, when I was traveling around the world for a year. Uh, I was organized to meet my dad at San Francisco airport at the end of my working holiday. And I hadn't seen the family for a year. I hadn't seen dad for a year. And uh, I landed into SFO and the little air bridge goes across and joins onto the plane. And I knew dad was waiting there for me at the airport. And the strangest thing happened in all of the noise and the whir of the engines and all the people around me. The minute that I got to the door of that jumbo plane and went to walk out onto the air bridge, I could hear the voice of my father coming down the hallway all the way out from the departure lounge. It was surreal. You go take a noise meter to an airport, that's a noisy place. And it's freaky. It's, it's never happened again because I'm so used to it. What was going on in that moment? I think for me, it's through a lifetime of relationship. I'd subconsciously learnt to know the voice of my father. And when Jesus prays often, what he's saying to us and modelling to us is that it's not so much the volume of God in your life. Because people always ask me, Sam... How do I hear God? What's God saying to me? How do I know what he's saying to me? It's not so much the volume of God in your life, but learning to discern his voice amongst the background. Uh, Rob Bell, uh, he, he was, uh, he's in an interesting arena of Christianity, said, I was reading about this guy named Bernie Krauss who records nature sounds for film and television. He was saying that in 1968, in order to get one hour of natural sound, like no airplanes, no cars, that it would take him about 15 hours of recording time. Then he was saying that today, to get the same one hour of undisturbed sound, it takes him 2,000 hours of recording time. Our prayer lives are like airports. Life is noisy, right? Right? 
there's always some form of distraction. It's the kids, it's the family, it's work, it's the anxieties that bustle into us. What do we do about it? We do what Psalm 5.3 says. In the morning I awake, O Lord. You hear my voice. In the morning I lay my request before you and I wait expectantly. Prayer is a time of listening when Jesus is withdrawing from an explosion of his ministry. Instead of turning up the volume, he goes and waits expectantly for God. And take a look the way that he did it. After feeding the 5,000 in John 6, Jesus withdraws again up into the mountainside of the Sea of Galilee and his disciples go in on the boat. And it, it says that he was, he was up there on that mountainside until 3 a.m. in the morning where he then eventually goes and walks on water. What's he doing up on that mountainside for nine hours? He's praying. He's praying. He's praying and then he does an amazing miracle. What's he doing up there? He's waiting expectantly. He's listening. Frank Laubach said, The trouble with nearly everybody who prays is that they say amen and run away before God has a chance to reply. <laughs> listening to God is far more important than him giving Giving, then give us giving him our ideas. So guys, all I want to say is how, how many hours, how many moments do you take in a week to just listen to God first? By the way, you don't need to be a Christian to do this. This is how you become a Christian. So often it's been amazing when I've, people are interested in Christianity. You might be one of those today. I say to people, I'm not going to twist your arm behind your back to believe in Jesus here. Go home, pray, listen to what God might say to you. And it's remarkable how people hear his voice. So first thing is Jesus, for Jesus, prayer was a time of listening. Here's the second thing. For Jesus, prayer was a time of loving. Notice what Jesus often prays for. Jesus spends most of his time praying for other people. Praying for kids, praying for the sick, praying for his best friend Lazarus, praying for his disciples, praying for us, those that would eventually believe in him. He's constantly praying for other people. The purposes of Jesus was very rarely petition in his prayer. He was very rarely asking God for things. He was just bringing other people into his consciousness through prayer. Remember in Matthew 5 where he says, pray for those who persecute you? You know, this is genius in all of this. You know, it's very hard... To, to ill will someone when you're praying for them. <laughs> you try praying the good of someone and then allowing them to be your enemy at the same time. Jesus says pray for other people. Now when you pray for other people, here's an interesting thing that I've discovered in the Christian life. The reason for your prayer often reveals to you what you really love. How many, how many prayers have we prayed, friends? We said, Lord, if you could just fix X... If you could just give me X, if you could just sort X out. You know, the thing is, when we pray like that, one of the dangers is that that X has become our real God. Because what we're saying is, Lord, unless your prayer comes in and fixes this, then I don't know if I'm going to be happy. I don't know if I'm going to be able to move forward in life. And so the purposes of your prayer often reveals what you really love. I mean, it's like this. If... If you guys ever, maybe it hasn't happened to you, but have you ever had someone in your life that is constantly asking you for things? And uh, it can go one of two ways. Either, of course, hun, you can have it, not a problem. Or you can increasingly become frustrated with them and you've had enough. And it's the latter person 
the latter person that we know is that they're constantly asking you for things. It's never about you, is it? It's always about them. It's always about what they can get from you. One person is saying, I love you. And of course, you say, I want to love you back and do this for you. The other person, they're just using you. One person's serving you. One person's abusing you. Now, here's the challenge for us. If we are always petitioning God, how are we any different from that annoying second person? Lord, if you could just give me this. If you could just give me that. You see, Jesus, when he went to these lonely places, it was a time of loving the Father, relating to him, getting to know his voice, being with him, praising him. And the way that you know that your posture of prayer in loving God is right is what happens when things go right in life. Is the default to praise him or do you forget to pray altogether? <laughs> you see, for Jesus, prayer was a time of loving the Father. And it was not just a time of petitioning him for better circumstances. The third one this morning for Jesus' prayer was a time of learning. If you read through the four accounts of Jesus' life and what we call the Gospels, you'll start to see this pattern emerge. It might not stand out to you, but it's what I said this morning. The clear pattern is the busier that Jesus got, the more that he withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The more that ministry was doing really well, he'd, go, oh, he'd take off to another side. We see it in Mark chapter 1 that he heals a demoniac in the synagogue and then people bring all these people to Peter's mum's house for the night and he heals all these people and the crowds are there and then in a minute, woof, off, off he's gone and the disciples say, the next day very early in the morning, Jesus went out to a solitary place to pray. The busier he got, the more he prayed. And here's why I think why he did that. For, for Jesus, prayer is always an opportunity to learn the difference between God's adequacy and your inadequacy. Now, that is a weird way to talk about Jesus, right? Because he's God. How can Jesus be inadequate? Here's the thing. In his, in his humanity, Jesus would have gotten tired. Jesus would have pushed towards burnout. Jesus would have become frustrated. And so Jesus understood his limits in his humanity and built these patterns into his life. God himself as a human knew that he had limits. That's why a guy called E.M. Bounds says, prayer is the real work and evangelism is just the mopping up. If you want a case study of that, go and look at the early church in Acts chapter 6 where all the pastors, the leaders of the church are getting caught in fights between the Greek and the Hebraic Jews. And they said, it's not good for us to be caught into this administration. Instead, we must what? Devote ourselves to the preaching of the word and prayer. And what happens, class? It's straight after that moment that the church explodes. It goes... They understood like Jesus that prayer is where the power is. And so my question for you this morning is, what is your first reaction when the busyness of life hits in? What's your default? Is it to keep turning up the volume or is it to withdraw to the lonely place and to be recharged? We will never get supernatural results in our life by human means. It was a time of learning his inadequacy and God's adequacy. And here's the final one. Prayer was a time 
of leading for Jesus. Look at these events. His baptism, his life began with prayer. His ministry ended with prayer. At Capernaum, he changes the course of ministry, even though everyone's looking at him. That's what we read this morning. He prays and he goes to a different form of ministry. After feeding of the 5,000, People try and make him king by force and he prays and he goes up on the mountainside for nine hours. That was before he walked on water. In the upper room, he prays before he's arrested. In Gethsemane, he prays before he goes to the cross. You're getting a pattern here. What do all of these things have in common? At every major turning point in his life and his ministry, it was soaked in, it was preceded by prayer. I give you a great case study. Uh, look at the result of prayer here. What about when he appoints the twelve disciples? It says that he went in Luke twelve up until uh, up until the mountaintop and he prays all night. I, I struggle with fifteen minutes in a day, right? I could see a few amens out there. All night. Let's see how that goes. All night before he appoints the twelve, and look at the result of prayer here. Here he has some fishermen. Here he has a deposed tax collector. Here he has a religious zealot. Here he has Judas, someone who's a betrayer. Now think about it quickly, just between Matthew the tax collector and Simon the zealot. One was collecting money for the Romans, one was trying to kill the Romans. So he takes a guy who's collecting money for the Romans, a guy who wants to kill the Romans. He takes another guy who's going to betray him to his death. And he says, oh yeah, by the way, comes down off the mountain, you're now my board of directors. Like seriously, would any of us make that sort of decision in the flesh? It's just ludicrous. And yet that was the result of the leading of prayer. It's counterintuitive. But here's what Jesus shows us. Jesus in his humanity. Jesus in his humanity didn't know what the next step was. Remember last week? Holy Spirit was the one who was guiding him and all, all of that. Jesus, he didn't have the matrix download of, every, of, of the working plan from God. He had to seek that from the Holy Spirit. Jesus in his humanity didn't know what the next step was, but he knew where to get the next step, and that was prayer. Prayer was a time of leading. And so we see prayer was a time of listening. Prayer was a time of loving. Prayer was a time of learning. Prayer was a time of leading hey is it an often for you is it just something to help you get through life is it a flare prayer is it the sort of thing where the prayers go up whenever there's trouble whenever there's crisis or is it a lifestyle and so what we've got to simply just ask ourselves from the life of Jesus this morning is what can you what are you doing to build a lifestyle of prayer if, if it's not there for you, why is your posture out? Are you always asking God for stuff? Or maybe, just maybe, you haven't seen the centrality of this habit of prayer to Jesus in all of his life. But I know in my life it's something that, that it's so easy to get caught in the hustle and the bustle of ministry and of church and the rest of it. I understand and I feel the counterintuitive nature to pull yourself away from this. I I can't do this. There's more emails to do. There's more people to see. And yet Jesus shows us where the real power is. Church, what would happen? What would happen if we, if, if we became a community of 400, 500 people 
that we're lifestyling this prayer. That we're listening and loving, being led by God in all of this. Our desire as a church is that we would have supernatural results, not natural results, and it won't happen by turning up the volume anymore. He often withdrew. Will you? Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.